We have been going through a series on, on discipleship, and to be a, a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of His, to go where He has gone. And uh, it is my prayer today that we would, we would see Jesus, see where He is headed, see where He is going. One of, the, one of the refrains that has been bandied about over the last year with, with, with almost, I mean, really quality uh, Soviet propaganda strength, you know, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And yet, each of us is really in it on our own. We can look at life and say, well, we're all going through life together, but if we're honest... We're all going through life alone. We're all on a journey. It's a separate journey. We all might be starting from a similar place and going to a similar place. We might all be in a, a pod, a group of people that are, we call a family, that we live together. But truly, my experience at home is completely different than each of the other people in my house. We sit around a table and I have a, a, a unique perspective on my family. I sit at the head and down one side I've got my boys and down the other side I've got my wife and my girl. But just think of their perspective. There's Nathan. And I'm up here over him. He's got his big brother over here crowding him in over here. And then we've done some work in our kitchen and there are these little chips and the tile and his chair gets stuck in them but he's so... Smaller, you know, a bigger guy, wouldn't it be a problem? But sometimes he can't push his chair back, so he pushes the table to try to push his chair back, but he's stuck. That is, a, that is a, an issue in his life I have no knowledge of, no experience. It's not a problem for me. But I've thought recently as he has had this problem, I, I've tried to remember times when I was a kid and I had problems that my dad was unaware of, that none of my brothers or my sister shared. I hope it doesn't upset you to say we are in this life on our own. But the truth is, even if you're a twin, you were born by yourself, you know. Your experience was completely different than the twin. The truth is, is that when we die, we will be alone in that experience. We might have loved ones next to us, but they're not on that journey with us. We're going to take that journey on our own. We're all on this journey. And the question is, is what do we do with this journey? Where do we go? And maybe it's upsetting to think that we're alone in that journey. It really just is talking about the fact that we experience it on our own, you know, internally. Nobody else knows the thoughts you're having. Nobody else sees things the way you do. And we went camping recently and Every now and then I'd go into the restrooms and I'd be confronted with a mirror. And I'd be reminded of how I look. I'm not used to looking like that. Nobody else, and I'd think, wow, everybody else has to put up with looking at that all day long. I only have to look at it when I go to the, into the restroom there. We're all on it on our own. And in this journey that we are on, God does show up. He comes into our lives and and if there is any way I can say that we can uh, experience life without being alone, is to have God in your life with you. In those times when you're alone, then your family can't go with you. 
God does. When we were still in our mother's womb, and and your mother was still wondering, who are you going to be? What are you going to look like? What color hair? What are your eyes going to look like? God was in that womb with you, saying, I'm giving her blue eyes. I'm giving her brown hair. God is with us in that journey. Our, 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 Our look today, our passage today, is going to be out of a the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And I want us to, as we think about this story, because it's a story about two men who are on a journey of their own. They're on a road traveling from Jerusalem to a little town, a village called Emmaus. And I want us to think about our own journey as we think about their journey and their experience and the things they're going through. And they're, they're having a conversation, and even though they're walking together just like we are, they're still, to a certain extent, alone. They're exchanging ideas. They're talking back and forth about the events that have just happened. And those events that have just happened are that the previous week, Jesus Christ went to the cross. And he, He died. And then that morning, that very morning, they had heard from some women that had gone to the tomb that His body wasn't there. And they're trying to figure everything out because they're still dealing with the gut check of we thought he was mighty and powerful. How did he die on the cross? They're still trying to wrap their brains around that and now they've heard that his body is not not in the tomb anymore. And and so this is where we're going to pick up. Right after the, the, the women have been to the tomb and then Peter also went and looked and we read in verse 13 that behold, two of them Two of the disciples were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place, all all the things. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So so they have this experience where they see him and they know him as a man and they talk to him, but for some reason their eyes are prevented from recognizing him. The word recognizing there is epigenosko, meaning to, 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 to fully recognize, to fully know somebody. You know, if, if, if you can see somebody and know, well, that's a man or that's a woman, but if you recognize them, then you know, you fully know who they are. Not just an idea of who they are, but they they do not fully know him as they see him. And he said to them in verse 17, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? What are these words? And we're told there that uh, they stood still looking sad. I, I kind of equate Jesus' term here to walking into a room where everybody has just heard the news that grandma died, and they look around, and they're having a great time. They've been having a great day, and they look around and go, whoa, who died? You know? And then everybody else is like, ouch, because grandma just died. That's how they feel. What do you mean? How can you possibly, 
say, what are you talking about? What are these words you're exchanging? And so one of them in verse 12, one of them named Cleopas, he answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these, last, in these days? Now, now this word unaware, are you the only one in Jerusalem and unaware? It, it's a negative on top of a word to know. It's a word called gnosko. Remember, we just saw that they didn't fully know. They didn't epigonosco Jesus. Here they say to Jesus, are you the only one who does not gnosko? You're the only one that doesn't have knowledge. And, and the word gnosko is a Greek word that means knowledge that is learned through experience. It's knowledge learned through experiencing the activity. It's not knowledge that is just wrote, it's just understood. It's knowledge that's experienced. You come to know something. And there are, are, you, are you the only one who does not know of the things which have happened here in these days is what, is what they're asking him. Are you the only one? You know, sometimes, I, I, I just find this ironic. Here you have these two guys, they're walking down and a man jo joins them and they don't know him. They don't fully know him. They don't recognize him. But the text tells us it's Jesus. Now, if there was anyone who knew what had happened, think about it. What do these guys know? They know that Jesus died on the cross. They know that in the morning, that morning, that his body was no longer in the tomb. What do they really know? They know a few details, but they don't know the whys. They know a few details, but they don't know the how. And here they are, they're talking to a guy who happens to be the man that they're talking about. Now, they don't understand that, but just think about the fact, who knows what's going on? Of, of the three men on the road, who really knows what's going on? Not the two guys talking about it, the one guy who is inquiring to them. What are you all talking about? What are these things that you're talking about? He's the one that actually was there. He's the one that actually knows what it felt like to be on the cross to give up his spirit, to have victory over death. He's the one that actually opened up his eyes and removed a cloth and walked out. If any of these guys knows what's going on, it's him. And yet they're the ones saying, are you, are you the only person that doesn't know what's going on? And I find great irony going on in the Gospel of Luke. And I think it's a, it's a similar irony that we can have. Because how often have you told God that he doesn't know what he's talking about? How often has you, have you told God that he doesn't know what your problems are? That he doesn't know the right solution to your problems? Or you look and you know, and Scripture says that the solution to your problem is to do this one thing. And it's something you don't want to do. How often do we treat God and that we, we not only just treat Him, but we accuse Jesus of ignorance about His world? Remember, Jesus is the one who created God speaking, let there be light, the Word of God, Jesus, through whom all things are created. It's His world. It's His creation. We are each one of us His beings. 
Whether or not we're his followers, whether or not we're his children following him is another thing entirely. We're all his created beings. He knows us inside and out. He knows the hairs of our head. And yet how often do we accuse him of ignorance about his own world? Our culture does this, even if you and I don't do it. Doesn't our culture do this every single day? We're told that this is outdated. That the world has moved on from the morals and the rules and the guidances of God. That we need to be progressive in our ways. Because because the things that God taught us and the things that God said are morally right, they don't matter anymore. They They don't fit with our modern world. We accuse Jesus, we accuse God of ignorance. And yet, He is the one who actually knows. He knows better than us the reasons why we do the things we do. Sometimes, have you ever, you know, you do something, you're like, why did I do that? Why do I keep doing that? I know I don't want to do that. Why do I do it? He knows. Even if we don't know, He knows. We can say times have changed. We can say you don't understand, but the truth is, is He does. And the truth is, is that if we lived out what He taught us, if we applied His Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives, we would find out that He is right, even when it doesn't seem logical. Even when our logic says that he is wrong. And I find great irony here that that they're claiming he doesn't know when they're the ones that don't know. And so in verse 19, he he wants to... And this is a great thing about Jesus. He's just asking questions. You know, helping them to move along to the right spot. He says to them, what things? What things have happened? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And see, here they're, they're proving that they don't understand the world. They don't understand what Jesus' purposes were. They don't understand why the things happened. They said, we thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They thought he was going to be the one to redeem them from the Romans. Get rid of the Romans. Let Israel be its own kingdom again. They thought he was the one that was going to redeem them from the leaders that they have, the rulers that they have that are wicked and in league with the Romans, who use the religion of Israel, the Judaism, against them. We thought he was going to redeem us from them. We kind of have that desire. Aren't there people in your world that you would like to be redeemed from? Don't we have some people that oppress us? We'd like to be redeemed from. We'd like them to be out of our lives. We'd like them, the shackles to be knocked off so that we can do what we want to do. We oftentimes are looking outward, aren't we? Looking outward for that redemption. But what they don't recognize, and again, this is one of those things where they don't understand, even though they think they understand, they don't know. The very thing that they talk about in verse 20, he was sentenced to death and they crucified him. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. That's exactly what he did. His redemption was in being crucified. That if he had not been crucified, he could not redeem them. But their idea of, well, we, we thought he was going to kick the Romans out. We thought he was going to, you know, he, he turned over those tables in the temple. We thought he was going to take it to the chief priests and knock them out of their palaces and get rid of them. 
The truth is we don't need to be redeemed from our politicians. We don't need to be redeemed from you know, latent colonialism or any of that kind of stuff. You don't need to be redeemed from your boss who harasses you or hounds you. What do we truly need redemption from? From our sins. We need to be redeemed from ourselves. We need to be redeemed from ourselves. Nobody in this world causes you as much grief as you cause yourself. Everything else is external to us, but what we do is internal. The actions we take, the things we think, the things we say. Nobody causes us as much grief. If anything, if, if we were more balanced in, in, in Christ in our lives, all those external things would come a lot easier. We would find them not so oppressive if we were set free in Christ. We need to be redeemed from ourselves, not them. These two guys walking on the street, Cleopas and his friend, they needed to be redeemed from their own sins more than they needed to be redeemed from the Romans. But they don't get it. They don't know. They don't understand. Everybody clamoring today for, you know, to get rid of certain uh, powers within our culture and our society. Those that want to defund Their greater issue, all of our greater issue is inside. And you get rid of one power, you're just going to replace it with another power. And it may be better, it may be worse. It's still going to come down hard on you. It's still going to ride you. These are not the things we need to be redeemed from. We need to be redeemed from our hearts, from ourselves. So they're, they're sitting here saying, we thought he was going to redeem us. Instead, he died on the cross. And then in verse 21, they continue, Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now this, this is actually in the structure of this passage that Luke has written, this is the, the highlight. This is the central point. And he actually has a lot of clues coming into it and away from it that all match one another. His, his overwhelming desire for us is to hear the message of the angels that he is alive. But notice all the things that are going on. We, we have a man who's come on the street on the, on the journey with them. They can't recognize him. That's an issue of the eyes. He hears them talking about things. They're, they're exchanging words. And he asks them, what are these things? And they say, are you unaware of all that's going on? And so they start telling him about the events. And now they start telling him about how some of the women have told them that they went and they saw no body at the tomb. But they saw angels. And the, the angels told them that he's alive. And these women... After they heard that, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. So you got, you got a lot going on in this entire passage about what we hear and what we either say or see. Or, you know, hear or say, and then the see. They don't see him. 
They don't see the body, but they see the angels, and the angels tell them he's, tell them he's alive. So they're, they're struggling with what they can see and what they hear. And so finally, in verse 25, Jesus, he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? To, to, to suffer the death on the cross, enter his glory, the resurrection? Then, beginning with Moses, and, and, and to say to begin with Moses means the first five books in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That, those were the, the books of Moses. So beginning with Moses, the very beginning, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So the guy that they said, are you unaware? You don't know what's going on? He pulls out the big guns and he takes them on a journey throughout their entire scripture beginning with Moses and going all the way to the prophets, and he shows them, he talks to them, he recounts to them all the things concerning himself in the Scriptures. He explains to them and helps them to understand why Jesus had to go to the cross, why he had to die, how he entered into his glory because of that. He explained it, and that word explained means to explain it thoroughly, fully, just as they could not fully recognize him, they could not fully know him, now he is letting them know fully about him through Scripture. He is explaining it to them. Notice what he says, though. Foolish men, slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. There is some stuff in Scripture that's hard to, to believe, isn't it? There, there are some things in the Bible that are hard to accept, hard to understand, hard to live out. It's hard to live it out. Though we, though we hear it, sometimes we struggle to live it out. Though we hear the truth, we struggle to believe it. We're not very much different than these guys. We hear the truth. I can think of so many different ways that, that you know, what, what we do is, as Christians, we get around the Bible and we start having a Bible study and reread something difficult like uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we spend most of our time trying to explain why we don't actually have to live it out, yeah, because it seems too hard. And so instead of saying, wow, that's a high order, how do we do that? We, we, we try to talk about how it's really just, you know, it's just a picture. It, it's just an al allegory. You know, we don't have to really do it because it's hard to believe. We hear the truth, but we struggle to believe it. The truth is, is that 2,000 years ago, God became man. And he lived on the earth and he lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross through trumped-up charges for things that he did not really do so that he could die on the cross for our sins. He had to suffer for us. I, I think of, and I'm reminded of, of a movie, Last of the Mohicans. Near the end of it, the, the main character, uh, Nathaniel Hawkeye, is, is what he goes by, Hawkeye, 
He's trying to save his lady love from the Huron Indians who are going to burn her in fire uh, as, as uh, eye for an eye, tooth of a tooth type justice. And he cries out, me for her, me for her. Now, the problem is, is that he can't communicate with Huron. He, he doesn't speak French and he doesn't speak Huron. But there's an English major with him, his rival for her love and kind of a jerk, really. The major can speak French and the major has been his translator throughout this entire scene. When Hawkeye realizes that Cora is going to be taken to the fire and he cries out, me for her, me for her, Major Hayworth cries out, me for her, me for her, and Hawkeye says, my death is a great honor for the Huron. I am the long rifle. The major says, me for her, me for her, a British officer in her place. It all happens in French. Hawkeye has no clue. The Huron chief considers and considers and considers, and finally he nods. And his braves, they bring Cora and they give her to Hawkeye. And she's beside herself because she thinks he's going to the flames. And then they grab the major and they start dragging him off. And Hawkeye can't believe it. He thinks there's a mistake. And he starts crying out, I said me! I said me! Now, the major did not take Hawkeye's place to pay some penalty of his own, of his. He took his place to redeem Korah. I think along those lines, we do have uh, atonement language, we do have what some call penal substitutionary, that Jesus Christ had to pay the price for us, and there is that in there, but there is also... The wages of our sin are death. Think of it. When you want justice, what do you want? You want a little blood. That blood might be a fine. It might be to see them hurt. You know, somebody, somebody hits you in your car. You're driving along. It's their fault. You don't have happy, good feelings about them, do you? You kind of want to see them get theirs, don't you? And then you go to the insurance company and you say, well, I'm going to get every penny I can out of them. We want vengeance. Our hearts tell us what we want. That we want to see the others suffer. That we want, in essence, death. you got a whole lot of people that don't believe in, in death until it happens to somebody in their family. And then they want death. And it might be a different degree, you know, but the, the heart attitude, Jesus told us that he who hates his brother has committed murder. That if we hate in our heart, we have, in essence, committed murder. Well, somebody done you wrong, haven't you hated them just a little bit? Don't we cry out for vengeance and for blood? So if we think, why does God require the cross? Why does God require death? Our sin, our sin requires it. God sends Jesus to redeem us from our sin, to, to pay the suffering 
that we deserve because of our sin, and He does it. And that is the truth even if we struggle to accept it. He goes into our place where we could have gone. He goes into that place instead. He died on the cross for us. And He explains to them how this was necessary throughout Scripture. He helps them thoroughly understand. And then in verse 28, they approached the village where they were going, Emmaus. He acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So again, they finally see. Their eyes are opened and they recognize Him. Same word from the very beginning. They could not recognize Him. They were prevented from recognizing Him. Now they recognize Him. They, they, their eyes are open. That word open means to, that they're fully and completely open. Just like He fully explained. Now He has given them full comprehension and sight. Later on, they share it with the disciples around him. They say, well, we, we recognized him by the breaking of the bread. It was when we broke the bread with him. Now, to break bread is to have fellowship. And here's what's really interesting. It's, it's their place. He was going on. Remember, he was continuing on his journey. They're the ones that said, why don't you come in? And so he goes into their home, and as he's reclining at the table, who becomes the host? He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He takes on the actions of the host. And he gives it to them. And they recognized him. They recognized him. The struggle that we have to understand and to believe the truth, the need we have to be redeemed from ourselves, it comes through Jesus. And one of the struggles we have is we really don't fully see him until we're in fellowship with him until we are, are, are joined with Him as they were at the table. And we, need to have, we need to have fellowship with Jesus to fully see and understand. The desire that, that begins the journey with Jesus, a lot of times we don't understand everything that we're doing when we say, I'm going to start following Jesus. And we, we grow into that understanding. You don't get there without having fellowship with Him. Just like a child is... Uh, brought into this world, can't do anything for itself. Mom has to take care. Dad has to help. But you're in fellowship. And through regular feeding, through regular nurturing, the child grows, learns to speak, learns to walk, will first crawl, then walk. Grows into a fuller knowledge of the world. Coming into Christ is the same way. Through fellowship with Him, we can fully recognize Him and understand. But we need to have fellowship with Him. If we don't have fellowship with Him, it, it just won't, it won't stick. And that's what they get when they invite Him in. And thinking about inviting Him in, I want you to, to consider that, that path you're on in life today. That journey you're taking 
there's a good chance that in your journey, Jesus Christ has come up next to you. You probably didn't recognize Him, though. He probably walked along and has asked you questions about your life, the, the struggles you have, the burdens you carry. And maybe you think, God, you don't know. You don't know. You can't understand. And yet, He knows better than you do. And hopefully, maybe as you've walked with Jesus, He has gotten to the point where you've enjoyed having His company. You've, you've heard Him talking. You kind of like being around him. I know that was the way it was for me when I became a Christian. Uh, beforehand, <clears throat> I was burdened to go to these meetings on campus in college, and, and I couldn't wait to get out of those meetings and get back to my life, but every week I felt that burden to go back, to go back and to walk a little bit more with Jesus. And the time comes when they get to their destination, and you know, Jesus, he's willing to keep moving. If you want Jesus to keep moving on from you, Jesus will keep moving on from you. If, that's, if, if you have no desire for Him, He'll keep going down that road. But you notice they invite Him in. I want to ask you today, are you in a place, in a time, where you could invite Jesus in? To invite Him in to your life. I've got to warn you, if you do, if you invite Him in, he isn't going to be a guest. He becomes the owner. He becomes the host. He becomes the one who takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to you. He's the one who will feed you and nurture you and help you to grow when you invite him in to your life. But you've got to invite him in. The way we do that is by acknowledging his sovereignty and asking him, and, and choosing to follow him. It's, had, it's got a lot of different ways to been said. People have said, you know, asking Jesus into your heart. I kind of prefer just acknowledging his sovereignty and saying, I'm going to live for you from here on out. But we've got to invite him in. And I want to invite you today, wherever you are on that journey, maybe the people around you are at a different place on their journey, but where are you on your? Are you at a place to invite Jesus in? He's probably been there for a while. Are you at the place to invite him in? Maybe you're on the journey and he's just started walking with you and you'd like him to walk a little bit further. Maybe today is the time to say, Jesus, keep teaching me as we walk. It may be you invited him in and for some reason you're fighting over the table. Maybe you need to get, let go and say, okay, Jesus, I invited you in. You need to be in charge here. Please take ownership. Where are you on that journey today? Walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you do join us in that journey. We're walking along, doing our own things, and you walk up next to us. And I thank you, Father, that Jesus is so gentle. He didn't, didn't jump all over them. He asked them questions. He found where they were, and then he walked with them and explained, helped them to understand. 
Lord, I pray for each of us today that, that, that you would help us to recognize how foolish and slow of heart to believe we are. Teach us the great things you have done in our lives. Father, we pray for each one here today who is called by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would respond. That we would hear your call. That we would walk in the paths that you have led. We thank you, Father, that this day we celebrate that Jesus Christ has risen again. We pray, Lord, that, that we would live out the resurrection in our own lives. Our, our, our bodies may be failing us. We may die here on earth. But, Lord, may our spirits and our souls, may everything we have live out the resurrection that we have through you. And Father, for those who have not yet invited Jesus in, we pray that you would build a burden in their hearts that they could not resist it. But to seek to have Jesus be Lord of their life as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.